Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Table Talk, a conversation on race. It is good to be with everyone on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is July 6, 2022. The goal of our webinars is to bring awareness to the anti-racism work in the Florida Conference, to equip and support those who are integrating anti-racism into their ministry. And because we believe anti-racism to be an act of discipleship, we believe this is how we love God and we love neighbor. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I'm a member of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works as part of the Bishop's Anti-Racism Task Force. Today's webinar is the second part of a two-part series titled, How to Talk to People About Race. And today we're very excited. I'm very excited. We have a very special guest. His name is Reverend Robert G. Johnson. Um, Pastor Robert was born and raised in Columbia, Mississippi. He lived in Houston, Texas for 27 years before taking an appointment in 2016 to serve as the lead pastor of St. Mark United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas, which is a United Methodist congregation, as you know, and he's part of our denomination serving over there in Kansas and Kansas City, so we're excited for him. Um, he also serves, has served as a pastor for more than 25 years in a variety of ministry settings, including inner city, suburban, rural, college towns, college campus ministry, cross-cultural, cross-racial, appointments, a church startup, uh, assistant living facilities, large churches, and, mega, and a mega church as well. So he has a lot of experience, and he also serves on boards in the Kansas community. He serves on the Kansas Interfaith Action Board, um, which is a public policy advocacy organization. He serves on Humankind Ministries, a nonprofit for those experiencing homelessness, and for the Boys and Girls Club of Wichita. He also serves on the advisory board of the College of Health Professions of Wichita State University, and he's a co-founder of Nehemiah Village, a faith-based housing development for formerly incarcerated men. Um, Pastor Robert has a bachelor's in psychology from the University of Southern Mississippi and an MDiv from the Perkins School of Theology, um, also the Southern Methodist University. So without further ado, Pastor Robert, we're so thankful you're here. So the floor is yours, and thank you so much for leading our conversation today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. I think this is an awesome thing you are you all are doing. I think the church has to lead the conversation, has to lead conversations in the issues that are impacting our people uh, in various ways, particularly in these very polemical, divided times. I think people are hurting. I think people are kind of suffering from uh, just shock from all the pain of our culture uh, in these times. And so I think it's critical that the church engages, leads the way in helping people to work through these issues. So today I want to talk about the issue of race and I want to get right into it and uh, because we do want to leave plenty of time for Q&A. So I'm, I am going to share screen. Thank you all for coming on. I want to thank my wife, Linda, who's on. Uh, and also my lay leader here at, here at St. Mark, Ron Holt. I saw those two persons from Wichita on. Thank you guys for coming on. First of all, I just want to mention this book because this is a book that was just published, that we just published through Invite Resources, uh, myself along with St. Mark. Uh, St. Mark gets the benefits, from, uh, the prof any profits from this book. But we just published this book with Invite Resources and I want to recommend it as a resource for churches because what it does is that it talks about the issues of race and politics, and uh, but it doesn't focus on that issues. It, it it talks about those that those issues are here, but then how do we work? About, how do we go about solving these issues and working on these issues? And so I want to recommend that book. As a matter of fact, the title is How to Rise Above Agendas 
find peace and be set free. And I think that all of us who are trying to engage in race conversations, that's what we're trying to do. We want to rise above the agendas, find peace and be set free. Uh, and so I want to say that as, as, the conver as these conversations are happening, anti-racism, the world needs the church as never before, but the church seems to have lost its power. And the question is why? And so in this book, I argue that we have lost the power of our witness because we have put Jesus in chains and distorted him. So as Christians, so I'm talking specifically to us as Christians, the reason, one of the reasons, the biggest barrier to us not being able to, to lead conversations on race is that we've been co-opted by the political culture, right? And so we've been so co-opted by the political culture uh, and by the cultural wars that we have even projected those things onto Jesus. So I make this statement in the book, it is not outrageous to assert that Jesus's identity has been taken over and perverted so much so that in many circles of the church, the Jesus presented is a dark caricature, grotesque imitation, or complete misrepresentation of who Jesus really was and is. Those circles of the church are, per are perpetrating spiritual crimes in the name and person of Jesus. And here's a blatant example. This isn't in contemporary times. This is old, but that spirit, that energy continues to live in our culture and in our churches. It's, it's taking, the, taking Jesus and projecting onto him our political and cultural battles. So although Jesus is known all over the world, his impact is significantly impacted. So Jesus on, on chain, this book is a call to repent from our idolatrous versions of Jesus and rediscover him from the pages and gospels of, pages of the Gospels and the New Testament. And so it is from that perspective that I present this information, uh, this perspective uh, to you today. Uh, so now I want to begin with the, uh, in earnest with the statement from Pope Francis. Uh, a recent statement that he made, and I read this uh, in, uh, uh, I didn't hear him make this statement. I actually read that he made this statement. He says, said recently, we must not use the language of politics, but the language of Jesus. And that's where I want to, that's, that's the pillar on which I want to build the rest of this conversation. We must not use the language of politics, and but the language of Jesus. But the question for many of you all would be, well, but what does that look like? What does that look like? Okay, uh, so let me let me give you let me give you a quick exa quick example of what that looks like. So, for example, the issue of here's a poli here's political language, a language that has been politicized. CRT, critical race theory. So, if we're going to engage in conversations about race, we have to be aware that saying CRT because of how it has been co-opted by the political culture wars is now political language. That is political language. And if you engage in race conversations using that language, uh, people who see things different from you are going to shut you down. The purpose of having conversations is to build community. And we as believers, we as Christians, that is our goal is to build Christian community. To build That's like building the kingdom. The kingdom is a community. So we're trying to build community. We're trying to learn practice and learn the art of the, the discipline of loving the stranger, which means loving someone who's different. And so we, if we use language that before we even get a chance to know people, before we get a chance to even engage deeply in a conversation, we're using political language that shuts people out, then we know that that's a dead end. And so I, I think this is such a powerful, I've just wrapped my spirit around this statement. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are some 
uh, some limitations to it. I'm, I'm sure there are some blind spots in it. But in general, I think it's a powerful reminder to me that if I use the language of politics, that I, I will not be able to engage in deep, meaningful, transforming conversations about race. Okay, so the CRT issue. So if I want to talk about, rather than talk about CRT, I want to talk about valuing people's humanity and valuing people's history. So let's let's. I don't want to talk about CRT because that's that's politicized. That that's that's going nowhere. But if we're, if we're having a conversation about race, then how do I get people to hear that part of what it means to be human is to be is to have your humanity valued by others, and part of that means that people learn to listen to your stories. And part of my story is my history. And so if someone says that my history doesn't matter, that my history shouldn't be told, then in what? Then in some way that's not valuing my humanity. And I want to talk about it from that human issue. Uh, here's another statement, and I, I want to recommend this book to you. Uh, in addition to my book, I recommend this book to you. Andy Stanley, he has an amazing book out called Not In It To Win It. So let me stick a pen right there and say to you, if you are feeling discouraged about the issue of race in our country right now, if you're feeling discouraged about politics, I want you to know that there's a movement happening where people from different parts of the political spectrum are beginning to transcend the, cult the cultural barriers, are beginning to transcend the partisan politics and rise to a level of being able to engage in in, in a way that that inf includes all Americans and includes all people. So he, in his book, he makes this statement, when people don't want us to talk about an issue, a problem. Now, this is an exact quote. This is a, this is my, what I remember about this quote. You can find it in the book. When people don't want, to talk, want us to talk about a problem, they label it political because they know that nothing divides us like conversations about politics. So if, if I want to talk about the hungry kids in the 267214 zip, zip code of, of Wichita, Kansas, I want to talk about hungry kids. But if I talk about that, people who don't want me to talk about that will say he's being political. And the moment they label it political, and the moment I engage in political conversation, then the, the focus then is no longer on hungry kids, it's now on politics. But I just want to feed hungry children, right? And so uh, when we, 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 we've got to stop letting people label stuff as political. We've got to label it as human. These are human issues. These are issues that, and they're human issues. And because they're human issues, we as followers of Jesus, we are concerned about them because we have been called to, uh, to, to love people, to represent the love of God to all people, uh, no matter how different they are from us. Okay, so now once we dig into, if we move away from political language, and I'm calling us to go back to Scripture and, and follow the paradigm of Jesus, what I want to present to you about Jesus is that he was human, and that's not denying his divinity, because I believe that Jesus came to do two things. I believe he came to show us God in the flesh, to show us the heart of God in human, what it would look like walking around with us. And then he came to show us what it means to be fully human, to be authentically human. He came to show us what God's vision was for human, human beings going back to Genesis 1. And so when you look at Jesus, when you read the Gospels, I, I want to encourage you to read the Gospels through the lens of Jesus is showing us how to be human, how to love people, how to engage people who are different, how to engage people whose lifestyles are radically different from ours. How does he do that? And I think there are amazing examples of what happens in those stories. 
Jesus's core message was that the kingdom, a new community is here. So it's all about this kingdom, the community. That's our focus. I posted something on Facebook the other day on 4th of July that I love my country. I celebrate our independence, but that uh, I do not see America as ultimate reality. America is not my ultimate reality, and it's not my job to fix America. I want to be a good citizen of America. I want to play my role as a citizen. I want to be engaged in the issues that are impacting our country. I want to help shape public policy, but it is not my job to fix America. I'm doing what I do, engaging the, so the, the culture around me, engaging my citizenship from the perspective of being a follower of Jesus. And so I, I engage in a way that I'm reflecting the values of Jesus and the kingdom and not the values of a political party. All right, now I'm talking real fast. We can come back and ask, ask questions. Uh, in chapter 10, then, of the book, I bring I point out specifically what it means to live by the kingdom. So that means to live with hope, humility, repentance, faith, love, and service. Now, th those are words we've all heard a million times. You can gloss over them here, but I, I encourage you to spend some time really digging into what those things are because those things are important for having tough conversations, whether it's about race, economic, uh, uh, the national budget, whether it's about what are we going to do about homelessness, poor, that we, if we engage those as citizens of the kingdom, we will engage them with hope, humility, repentance, faith, Faith simply means that we don't accept the imaginary boundaries that culture has tried to present to us. Culture will tell us who we can love and who we can't love. And Jesus living by faith means, no, that there are no, these are false barriers. I can love everybody that in terms of who I serve. So we engage the issues of our day with hope, humility, repentance, faith, love, and service. Um, you, we can talk about that later. You can. I want to encourage you to do your own study and reflection. Don't just accept those of these Christian terms that you know what they mean. Dig into them and dig into to what they mean and what they look like if you live them out as an authentic human being. In a marriage, what does it look like to, to practice hope in a marriage? What does it look like to, to practice humility in a friendship? What does that look like? and then begin to expand that to other kinds of relationships, including relationships with others. So now let me, this is my close and then we'll do open Q&A. So here's some practical points for how to have a productive conversation about race. Now, let me, before I do this, Erwin, let me share with you all that, that in the process of writing this book to this very moment that I am still growing, I rejoice in the fact that I'm still growing and evolving uh, in terms of how I, how I engage in these conversations because I've done undergone this transformation. At one point, I felt like it was my job to call out racism and to a, to attack it. And I still believe there's a time and moment for that. I do think there are times when we have to speak as prophets to our culture and speak harsh words. I do think that there's a time and place for that. But if but in terms of building community and having come race come healthy conversations about race. That's not the approach we can we have to take. So we have to, uh, here's the approach that I believe. Number one, give up political language. I've already talked about that. Give up political language. It's hard because we have been so shaped by the political culture. But how do I sit down and talk with someone who sees race issues totally different from me in a way that we at least build relationship, we build trust, we build, uh, we build empathy, 
we build a kind of openness that can lead to additional conversations. How do I engage in a conversation about race so that I don't shut the conversation down even before it begins? So I have to give up political language. So, so what, what do I substitute that with? I substitute that with language of the, of the kingdom. I substitute that with human language. Don't talk about welfare programs. Talk about their hungry children down the street from our church what can, who can I, how can I pull people together? How can I raise money so that these children no longer have to be hungry? That has nothing to do with politics. That's a human issue. Same thing, you can apply that to race. Uh, give up idols for the sake of others. So let me say to all of my African-American listeners, one of, the, one of the idols that we may have to give up if we're going to have healthy conversations, or at least postpone, is, for example, the, the, the issue of reparations. Because you cannot, reparations, that word has been so politicized. The minute you say reparations, you shut down half of America. But it, I think it's a valid issue. It's a valid conversation. So how do we engage the issue of reparative, what I would call restorative justice, that's kingdom language. How do we engage in that without shutting people down? So we may have to give up some of our idols, some of the things that, that we hold dear, some of the things that we think are so crucial that we may have to uh, give them up or delay them for the sake of building relationship that can lead to productive conversation. Number three, listen, and I have that in caps because I think that's the biggest thing that's not happening now. My wife and I talk about that all the time, that people don't listen anymore. People don't listen and people don't look to to uh, to understand we what we want what we do is we look to make a point we want to get our point across and get people told and then if we don't people don't if if you know if if that if that we once we do that then we're done but the art of listening again listening and doing self reflection and making sure we understand what other people are saying that includes number 4 we have to empathize we have to practice empathy Number uh, number five, that was number four. Number five is know your, know your perspective, but don't make it the center of conversation. So when I engage in a conversation on race, I know what my perspectives are, but I don't make those a heart center of the conversation. The center of the conversation is not what I think and how I feel. The center of the conversation as a believer is the humanity of another person and how God loves that person. That has to be front and center to me. Everything else has to bow down to that. That doesn't mean the other things aren't important. That doesn't mean the other things will not be worked on, but they cannot be they cannot sit on the throne of the conversation. Okay? I hope that makes sense. So we know our perspective, but we don't force it as the center and heartbeat of the conversation. What I want to do is win a heart. What I want to do is be a blessing to a person. Uh, it, extend the blessing of Abraham as Jesus did, be a blessing to all people on this. What I want to do is help people to encounter God. What I want to do is help people to ex open their minds to, to, new, to, um, to new insights. And I can't do that if I make my perspective when it's radically different from the other person's, if I make that perspective the center of the conversation. Number six, give up power. I don't think there's almost nothing we do as followers of Jesus that, that will demonstrate that we have truly surrendered to Jesus ourselves than when we give up power for the sake of others. And I could just go on and on and on about that by giving up. Jesus practiced that. It's throughout the Bible, giving up power for the sake of us. So everybody on all sides of the race issue, black, white, whatever race you are, whatever perspective you have, we've all got to learn the art of giving up power. Now, let me just say we won't give up power unless we're committed to God and the kingdom. And we won't give up power if we, if we think that we 
are the ultimate caretakers of our of our souls. If I know that God's got my back, that gives me some confidence to give up power. But that's a I don't want that's another sermon. <laughs> Number seven, engage in acts of service as a way of healing and aiding conversation. So conversations can be aided by more than what we say is what we do. So when I'm trying, if I'm working with the person who's uh, let's just say the issue of black-white race relations, and I'm working through that with somebody, then I know that the only way to, to move that conversation forward is not just with what I say, but it's what I do for that person. It's engaging in acts of service that helps that person to heal, that helps me to heal, that helps that person to see me from a different perspective, that helps that helps me to see them from a different helps me to see them from a different perspective. That that aids the conversation. And number eight, practice courage wrapped in agape love. So at the end of the day, if we don't have courage, if we don't allow God to encourage us, encourage us, to give us courage, if we don't have courage, we will not engage in tough conversations. We will evade them. We'll pretend that they're not real. The church does that in so many ways. Either the church is in, is doing engaging in these conversations in, in an unhealthy way, creating more fight more uh, negativity or the church is pretending that these things don't exist we don't want to pretend that they don't exist race relations are really bad right now uh, so we we want to be, we want to admit that we want to acknowledge that and then we want to ask God to give us the courage to engage engage these conversations with wisdom so let me stop there and open up for converse questions and conversation Great. Thank you so much, Pastor Robert. I have some questions for you that will hopefully begin this time. One of the things that, for example, happens to me that I'm sure other clergy and laity experience is when we preach about race relations from the pulpit, sometimes we get the comment, you preach too much about social justice, too much about race. Um, so I guess this is a two-part question. One, how do you handle those conversations? And the second one is when some folks feel as though you're preaching too much about that, they'll leave the church and they'll say it's because this church is too woke or just too progressive or whatever it may be. So how do you handle the conversations about preaching from the pulpit and how do you handle the conversations about people leaving because of the mission of the church and because they disagree with that? So, Excellent question. So number one, let me, let me deal with the second question first. Number one, I want to encourage every pastor, every church leader, like we, we, we must love people and love people whether they belong to our church or not. But we have to get accustomed to the idea that people will leave our church because of kingdom stances we take. Uh, I don't think any of us are, will ever be as effective at doing the ministry of the kingdom than Jesus was. And when he, he ended up on a cross and had three people who who were so who were moved enough by his life and ministry that they were there with him to the end. <laughs> so if Jesus could only garner three people who were who were ultimately loyal to him, I doubt very seriously that I would ever be able to, to garner even maybe my wife and my mama and maybe my daughters who are gonna be like, I'm there with him to the very end, right? So people are going to leave. And if you preach the kingdom, you will, Jesus says that the kingdom will divide people. It'll divide people within their their own households. It's nothing we can do about that. What what we want to be careful about is that we don't we're not picking fights. That's number one. The you don't the pulpit is not a place to pick fights. Number two, the pulpit is not a place 
to fight a fight. So there's a fight already going on, and you use the pulpit against people, very unhealthy and very unchristian. And number three is preach the truth and practice kindness. So there are times that I have to preach hard truth, and I know that it's going to upset people, but I'm very intentional about reaching out to those people and expressing kindness. At the end of the day, sometimes that helps, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't want to. I, w- I don't want the pulpit to be the place where I get divided with people, if possible. Uh, the pulpit is not a place to build relationships. It's a place to declare truth and to lead worship, not to build necessarily build one-on-one relationships. But let me go to your first question. I think that you and I, I apply the same thing to preaching that I apply to one-on-one conversations. Is that we have to preach in a way that we number one, the biggest thing, don't use try to to try to avoid using political language. Talk about the issues that are that are hurting people, that are concerning people, uh, that are dividing people. Talk about those issues using the language of Jesus and the kingdom, okay? And using human language, using human stories, and, and avoid leaning on not, it's, you can't avoid it totally because sometimes just to get people to have a sense of what you're talking about, you may have to refer to what's going on in politics or what's going on in culture, but then shift the language and talk about the issues from a very as as in a, in as as human capac- uh, uh, manner as possible without using the dividing the divisive political language. So I think that applies heavily, and I've had to learn that myself, Erwin. I've, I mean, I've when I've tried to do this, I've done this stuff on the pulpit, you know, see, seeing myself as this like this Junior Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> I'm Junior Dr. King, and I'm I gotta say these things, and but it was more about but but what was happening if you look at that that I was making it all more about me and what I needed to do and what I felt like I needed to say than about community and people, uh, and so if I want to help people, if I want to build community, if I want to grow the members of my, my church in their spirit, their faith that I want to use language that makes them come alive, not the language that makes Robert come alive. I yeah, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask you, what were some mistakes that you, you made when you were younger and you, you've changed, but you, I know you shared some of that. We have a question from one of our, pan, one of our um, members here from Mary Robertson. What do you think about how we can engage in systemic change, changing systems of oppression above and beyond the helping of individuals? She says, both seem good, and I pray to engage in both. Thank you, and can't wait to read your book. So what do you think about systemic change? Go ahead. So number one, please don't hear my conversation about individual conversations or group, small group conversations as being opposed to working on systemic issues. Absolutely. Then it's not either or, it's both and. So we want to, I just think that the way that we build community and build Build healthy relationships and engage in race conversations is through these through these these uh, lessons or these uh, guidelines for rela- having conversations. But I do think that we should be involved in systemic issues. But but this is what I do, and this is what I'm committed to. I want to engage the issues that move me from a kingdom perspective and not from a partisan politics perspective. So I'm not gonna go out and be engaged in systemic change just because the the Democratic Party says I should. I'm not gonna go out and be engaged in the issue because that's the Republican platform. If an issue comes up and I'm moved by the Spirit of God 
as a citizen of the kingdom, that that's an issue that I should work on on all levels, one-on-one if I get a chance, but if there's a way that I can help motivate, uh, mobilize people to vote in a certain way, to move an issue forward, then I believe I should be engaged in that. But I want to do that. I'm not doing that as a, as a member of a par- political party. I'm doing that as a citizen of the kingdom. And I think it's important when we do that, that we make it clear to people we're working with, this is why I'm doing this. This is a matter of, of kingdom principle. Uh, uh, and, and that's why I'm engaged in. By the way, your your question is, what are some mistakes I've made? Is I've stood in the pulpit and tried to do systemic change. <laughs> I've stood in the pulpit, and my focus was on uh, systemic addressing systemic issues of justice, of systemic injustice, issues of systemic injustice. But I was doing it on the pulpit, and I was using all political language, and I was bad and I was attacking pop persons that because they are political leaders attacking them and I think that all of those things were wrong I think those I think those things like I said may have some people who people who are angry it may give them this sense of validation and it may validate like like soothe their anger because somebody said what I feel but does it really solve problems does it help and uh you know how does it how does it empower the kingdom if we, if we, instead of focusing on how, how people can live in the kingdom and experience the abundance of the kingdom, we're focused on what a political party is doing wrong. Which one of those things is most likely to bring abundant life to somebody after Sunday morning worship? So that's, uh, Erwin, just to address your question as well. You know, that makes me think of another question because these conversations about race are very emotional, yes. especially for somebody who's experienced the pain of it. So, how do you stay even keel? How do you sleep at night? How do you make sure that you stay calm in the middle of a very emotional conversation? So that's a great question because I want to let it, you know, remind everyone, like I was born and raised in Mississippi, in the deep south, in the 60s. Now there's a whole there's a whole lot to that story I can say. So the the issue of race, I am deeply emotional about the issue of race. My wife is on, she could tell you I am deeply emotional about the issue of race. But at this point in my journey, I think I've grown enough as a human being and as a follower of Jesus that I want to help solve the problem. I don't want, there's a part of that with my, my emotional content that's, that's a sense of wanting things to be made right and wanting people to be held accountable for what they did and wanting, feeling like people need to repent for what they did. But at the end of the day, what I want is for people to be made whole and for community to happen and for us to make. So then I have to manage my emotions. We call it emotional emotional intelligence, learning to manage my emotions in the direction of my goals, not letting my emotions uh, run run my life. But so feeling, feeling and acknowledging my emotions, understanding the power of my emotions, understanding my emotions can be helpful to me but then garnering and managing my emotions so that they help move me in the direction of the goals that I believe are the goals that God has for me and his and God's people. Uh, so it, but it's tough. It's very tough. But I, one of the things I try to remember is that just as, as much as emotional as I am about race issues, when I'm speaking passionately about race issues that I have, I try to remember now that so are the people on the other side. On, on the quote unquote other side, they are very emotional too. They've been fed myths, lies, mistruths, misrepresentations, and they are very emotional about them. And so, 
to 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 give a a a vehemently emotional presentation to people who are already there, I don't know how that helps. Uh, it's kind of you know just real quick. It's kind of like when when the people found the woman caught in adultery and they were all standing around ready to throw stones. So basically, riots, right? They were ready to stone this woman. So emotions are raging. And when I read that story now, I think one of the things I've always missed is that Jesus calms the emotions. He doesn't say anything. He bows down and starts writing. And he and because they're trying to figure out what is he gonna do, everybody like the emotions die down, and then very quietly he makes one statement. He who was without sin cast the first stone, and people start walking away. So I've always focused on the issue of the woman, the adultery, the self-righteousness of the men. But now I read that story and I was like, man, Jesus literally stopped a riot. <laughs> he stopped a riot because instead of feeding into the emotions, he let the emotions calm down before he even spoke a word. So, yeah. That was good advice. Thank you so much, Pastor. We have two more questions. Um, one is, is your book set up as a guide for a group study? Uh, we it is not set up that way. It is a discipleship resource, so there there are no questions at the end of it. But we are working on a study guide. But it is a it is it was written and presented by Invite Resources as a discipleship resource, as a book that could be used in the local church, primarily as a as a resource to help us relearn what what we how we think and how we think and view Jesus. And from that, then how do we engage the issues of our time? So it's okay, we created all these distortions. We've got to let go of these idols. So then who is Jesus really? And then as we relearn him, how does that relearning inform race relations? How does it inform acts of works of justice? How does it inform our perspective on abortion and all these other things? So. You know, when I first started, I will tell you, when I first started the book, I wanted to write a book about those issues and then say, this is what Jesus said about them. But then I had a turn and said, well, no, let me present Jesus and then give trust people and their critical thinking skills and the Holy Spirit to guide them to know how to apply those things to the issue. Plus, I think there are, there are a million books out now about how to not be a racist or how to be anti-racist or how to you know how to how to reform the white evangelical church books are everywhere so and they're christian books but they're focused on the issues i wanted to write a book that's focused on jesus and through jesus then we talk about how do we address these issues and we have one final question um, and that is also a comment over the years and repeatedly serving in settings where racism needs to be addressed and to the allegation that quote you talk too much about race. I have often asked folks, folks, what essential or life altering issue is better addressed by not dealing with it? For example, if the doctor diagnosed you with cancer, would you want the discussion and treatment to seem like you're dealing with a cold? I don't want to be given an aspirin to treat cancer. That's a, that's a profound statement. And I think that that provides some balance to my presentation today. I don't disagree with that at all. I, and I think there are times when we have, well, I think we should always address issues head on. My only concern and my only recommendation of wisdom is to, is to be careful about the language we use to address them. Uh, again, and I'll use the example of if I'm addressing the issue of poverty, children who are hungry in my community, 
and I want systemic change about that, that I'm not going to, I'm going to talk about it as children are hungry. I'm not going to talk about it as uh, there's mis how, you know, how one party uses uh, taxpayers' funds. I'm not going to talk about it as, you know, uh, that's welfare program. All this, all the political language we use, and I want, as we're using that political language, guess who gets lost? The hungry children. So to attack the hard issues of our day with the heart of Jesus, with the language of Jesus and the kingdom, and with the radical focus on the people that are engaged, that, that we're talking about. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. Um, I feel like you've given great advice. I think everybody's really connecting to the idea of avoiding political language and making it more human language, um, theological language, Jesus-focused language. Um, I think that's great advice, giving me a new perspective as well. And I think it's smart, too. I think it's smart because the moment you start talking about politics, people get lost. And um, we'll, we'll start talking about something else. Um, so thank you again for your time. We're going to make sure we follow up with everybody on this call today so they can have your information, access to your book. And again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Anything hey, you want to share? Go ahead. Let everyone know, hey, I'm on Facebook. I love to engage in conversations. I uh, Just FYI, like the issue that's going on with Creflo. I don't know if you all know what's going on with the tithing issue and Creflo Dow. So I try to address issues that are going on, and I try to do that from a kingdom perspective so people can see what that looks like. But I love to hear, engage with you all with ongoing conversation. I think that if we can talk amongst ourselves, it empowers us and informs us to have conversations across the boundaries. God bless you all. Thank you all for listening today. Thank you so much, Pastor Robert. And thank you for everybody who joined us in our call today. We always want to let you know that we are here to support your work on anti-racism. So if you need any resources, any help, please feel free to email us. Um, for now, we say goodbye. But again, thank you for your time. And we'll see you next month on the first Wednesday of August.